Philippians chapter number four. And today, I'm going to ask a question. Last week, we asked the question, have you lost your mind? And we look at it from a positive standpoint and from a negative standpoint. In society today, sometimes it looks like people have lost their mind when it comes to the negative things that are happening. But also, I'm here to tell you, when you as a child of God, when you make a conscious decision to follow God, amen, with all your heart, mind, and soul, some of your family members and those who are in contact with you are going to think you've lost your mind. And you tell them, yes, I did lose my mind, but I gained the mind of Christ. Because remember what Paul told us in Philippians 2 and 5? Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. So we want to lose our mind, and we want to allow the mind of Christ to permeate throughout our thought life. So Philippians chapter number 4, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 1. This is the last chapter in this, in, in this series, this book, as we, as we cover it. It says in verse number 1, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Verse number two, let's read together. Now I appeal to Euodia and Sentites, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Verse number three, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. Verse number four, let's read. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Glory to God, rejoice. So we're going to stop right there. And we're going to, um, the Lord said the same. We're going to cover down through the ninth verse of this fourth chapter. And, uh, and, and our subtopic today is why are you worrying? Why are you worrying? Glory to God. Now, if you remember, we, we, this, when we start this book, we start talking about mindsets. Mindset. A mindset is a mode of thinking. It's a way of thinking. How many of you know that your cultural upbringing, uh, the people who you hang out with, your family of origin can have a significant impact on your mindset? And when you become a born again believer, it's critically important that each one of us, from the moment we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, it's critically important that we begin the process of renewing our mind. Amen. Renewing our mind. And I believe that one of the problems that we have in the church today is we have too many believers who have not renewed their mind. They don't have the proper mindset as it relates to their Christian faith and their Christian walk. The four key mindsets that that we covered in this book, the first one in chapter one, we talked about the single mind. Repeat that when we say the single mind. And the, with the single mind, it produces joy even in the midst of suffering. Because you know in that first chapter, the Apostle Paul, we discovered as he writes this letter, is sitting in a jail cell in Rome. Sitting in that jail cell in Rome, he did not allow the jail to get inside of him because he still had joy even in the midst of suffering because of his promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you have the single mind, when you're so focused on promoting Jesus, it doesn't matter what's happening around you. And it doesn't even happen what's, matter what's happening to you. Paul had the single mind. And when he was singly minded, that means that he had joy even in the midst of suffering. Okay? Joy in the midst of suffering. Now, one thing we got to realize as we look at this book, we told you that the key thought from the book of Philippians is, is that you can have joy even in the midst of life's most difficult circumstances. That is the theme of this book. You can have joy even during life's most difficult circumstances. Now, how many of y'all would agree with me that, that, that the period of time and the season that we're living in right now will be classified as a difficult circumstance? There are people who are losing their jobs. There are people who are losing their lives. There are families that are being torn apart because of death and, and financial ruin. There are people who are having to stand in lines just to get food. And I would classify this as a difficult season in, this, in the life of, 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 this, of the United States of America and the entire globe. But the text says in this book here lets us know that we can have joy even during life's most difficult circumstance. Maybe you had a marriage that did not work and you got divorced. That crushed you. 
Maybe you had a child that went and wavered and, and, and refused to, to follow your lead and guide and, and went out and made some poor choices and ended up hurting themselves. That's a difficult circumstance. But I'm here to tell you, even in the midst of that, guys, you can still have joy. So, but, but, it, but you can't have it without having the right mindset. So the first mindset that we dealt with was the single mind in chapter 1, and it produces joy and suffering. The second mindset we had is the submissive mind in chapter number two, and it produces joy in serving. While you're serving, when you got the submissive mindset, you can still have joy. Because how many of y'all know when you're serving people, it can be difficult sometimes? Anybody out there have to serve anybody before? It, sometimes it seems like the people who you are pouring the most into turn around and stab you right in the back. They don't, they don't even, no, they don't even let you turn around. They'll stab you in the neck. They'll get you in front nowadays. People who you poured your life into will turn around and begin to talk about you like a dog. But even in the midst of that, you can still have joy when you got the submissive mind as you serve people. Because people can be something else. As a matter of fact, look at yourself and say, I can be something else. And all of us, if our mind is not changed, guys, we can be something else. So the submissive mind in chapter 2 produces joy in serving. The third type of mindset is the spiritual mind. We discovered that in chapter number three, and it produces joy in believing. The spiritual mindset produces joy in believing. In other words, we can have joy as we trust God, amen, to be the supplier of all of our needs. As we trust God to be our healer, as that song said a while ago. He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's our everything. So it produces joy in believing. And lastly, in this fourth chapter, we're going to talk about the secure mind. And it produces joy in giving, joy in giving. Now, let's, let's, let's go back and, and unpack this fourth chapter because we see something transpiring here. Paul said in that first verse, let's read it, read it one more time. Verse number one says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and he tells them, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I received for my work. Now look at verse number two right there. It, it, you know, I didn't plan this to, to, to talk about two women fussing and fighting on Mother's Day, but that's just the way the, the, the text fails. I believe God had, had a sense of humor. He wanted mothers to know that you got to stop all that arguing and bickering. Any mamas out there who like to argue. Look at what the text says. Now I appeal to Euodia and Sentai, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Is that what he says? Settle your description. Now, now, understand something here. Look at what he says in verse number three, because these were leaders in the church. These ladies were leaders in the church. Let me say it again. These two women who had some beef, who had some, 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 some ill will and some ill feelings toward one another, they were leaders in the church. I can't tell you the number of times I've talked to, to women who say, well, you know, I'd rather work with men than women because women can be something else. Did you ever say that before? Oh, I, you know, women can be messy. Women can be gossipy. And I don't, I rather not, but let me tell you something, baby. When you are a part of the body of Christ, you can't choose who to work, who you're going to work with, who you're not going to work with. Because, see, God, God has a plan and a purpose. And sometimes he has you connected with people who may not necessarily rub you, quote, the right way, but they rubbing you because something inside of you need to come out of you. Iron does shopping, aren't iron, right? And sometimes you need somebody in your life who irritate the hell out of you. The hell out of you. I did, keep your mind straight, okay? Who irritate the hell out of you. By giving the word of God. The text says this. Watch this. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women. For they, watch what he says about them. They worked hard with me in telling others the good news. These women were, were, were leading and helping Paul to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a role for women in the body of Christ. And guys, let me tell you something. The Bible says in the last days, God said, I'm going to pour up my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Your handmaids and your servants are going to share the word of God. They're going to declare what thus said the Lord. So God uses women and men in promoting the gospel. And that's what it says here. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are written in the book of life. So there was conflict in the church here. Now watch this, watch this. So how, handling conflict in the church is something that we got to learn how to do and learn how to do well. 
Because when you are in relationship with anybody, there is the potential. And I, I, I would go out. I'm not even going to limb. I'm going to say this. When you're in a relationship with someone, at some point in time, there's going to be conflict. Because you're two different individuals. At some point in time, you're not going to agree. But as members of the body of Christ, we have to learn how to handle conflict. Paul did not have to warn the Philippian church about doctrinal errors, errors, but they did have some relational problems. And in many of our churches today, there are relational problems that are going on. And maybe even not so much that we're not meeting together, but as soon as we get back together, there's going to be some relational problems. And, 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 and they're going to they're gonna rear their ugly head in the church to try to disrupt what God is trying to do in the work of ministry. Verses 2 and 3 here, these two women have been workers for Christ in the church, and their broken relationship was no small matter because they were church leaders. It is a sad commentary when leaders in the church can't get along. I'm going to say it again. It is a sad commentary when leaders in the church cannot get along. Their broken relationship was having impact on the rest of the church because many had become believers through their efforts. It's possible, guys, to believe in Christ, work hard for the kingdom, and yet have broken relationships with others who are committed to the same cause. But let me tell you something. That's no excuse for remaining unreconciled. Let me say that again. If you are part of any church body, if you are saved, you are born again, there is no excuse for you to remain unreconciled with a fellow believer. No excuse. Jesus said this in Matthew the 18th chapter. I believe I'm correct. You, you follow me up on it. In the verse 15 through 18, he says, if there's an alt between you and your brother, you go to him one-on-one, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you gain your brother. And if he doesn't hear you, you take two or three more spiritual people with you and you go and discuss the matter. And if he still don't do it, you bring it before church council and try to deal with the issue. And if he still insists on, on acting a fool, then now you disfellowship him with the purpose of bringing him back into the fold. Because, guys, the church has gotten soft on church discipline. And as a result of not having church discipline, we have some of everything happening in the church. Un, not being reconciled is not an option in the body of Christ. If you're going to... If you're going to be right with God, I told you this time and time again, your vertical relationship with God cannot be right when your horizontal relationship with man is out of whack. God will not have it that way. He says, reconcile, get it right. We need to be aware of the fact that God is still at work even though conflict and disagreement happens in the church. Christians don't always agree. Can can y'all nod and say amen to that? We don't always agree. But problems can be solved by agreeing to disagree and letting God work his will in that situation. Well, well Pastor, well, okay, you're saying that. You say, why? what's it got to do with worrying? Because, and listen, if you are unreconciled, it's going to cause some worry in your, in, your, in your walk with the Lord. And so when you're in the church and, there's un, and you're not reconciled with the body of believers and the part of the local congregation that you're in, it's going to cause some worry to t- take place in your life. I promise you it will. Because it's hard to be, to be tuned in and dialed into God and you're out of fellowship with men. Okay? It doesn't work that way. Now, so what, what, so what Pastor, what, tell me, what, what are some things that I should not do when I have conflict? Because I, so I, I can feel some of y'all out there say, Brother Pastor, I just tell folk what's on my mind. That's your problem. Everything that comes to your mind should not be spilled out of your mouth. What do you mean, Brother Pastor? I just believe it like it is. Well, the Bible says you're a fool. The Bible says a fool utters all of his mind, but a wise man will keep it in until afterwards. In other words, a wise man will weigh what he's getting ready to say, and he will chase it through by the word of God. Y'all know what it means to chase it by the word of God? Any of y'all drinkers out there, any of y'all used to drink? Anybody, 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 anybody used to drink? Oh, I hear you out there. And, and so you, you would chase that stuff with something, wouldn't you? So that it wouldn't, it wouldn't burn so much. Listen, listen, chase your faults with the word of God. When a fault comes, before you utter it out of your mouth, say, does that line up with what I was taught on Bible, in Bible study last week? Does that line up with the word that, that I was studying in my devotional time? Does it line up with the scripture text that we've been studying uh, on Sunday mornings? And if it does not line up, capture that, that fault with the word. Put the word on your thoughts. Don't you sit, don't you dare utter everything that comes to your mind. 
Some folks don't have jobs right now because they utter stuff that came to their mind and they should have kept it to themselves. I'm not saying you don't address issues, but you got to learn how to run it through the prism of God's word. So what are some things that we should not do when we have conflict in the church? Number one, uh, don't bury the problem or the pain that it's causing you. Some folks think the idea is, well, I just ain't going to say nothing. You know, I just, I just keep quiet because, you know, I don't want no stuff. You see, you cause this stuff because you ain't saying nothing to the person you need to say to it, but you're going around telling everybody else. Church gossip. You're telling everybody else except the person who you have conflict with. Amen. Don't ever think that the answer to any conflict is to avoid it or to bury the problem with denial. If you do, that hurt is going to grow and create even bigger problems in the future. So number one, don't bury the problem of the pain that's causing. Number two, don't let confrontation digress into an attack on another person's character. I'm going to repeat that. Don't let confrontation digress into an attack on the other person's character. Stay focused on the problem. Deal with the problem. Amen. Don't water down your argument by focusing on the other person's weakness or character. Uh, you know, when you look in uh, the book of Exodus, the 18th chapter, we don't have time to go there, but you, you'll find the story where Moses, uh, who would, uh, would be akin to a New Testament pastor because he was a prophet. And a prophet was a proclaimer of divine revelation. And Exodus 18 unfolds uh, with, with a situation involving Moses in his leadership capacity among the children of Israel. And, and when Moses' father-in-law Jethro became aware of the situation, and how Moses was handling it, he had to speak up. He had to say something. Moses' leadership role among the children of Israel kept him very busy. From morning to night, amen, he was, he was judging matters between the children of Israel. And that were, that were, they had millions of folks. In, and basically what he was doing, he was wearing himself out and he was wearing the people out. And it was causing disruption in, the, in, 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 that, in, that, in that body of, of believers there, uh, as far as the Israelites were concerned. So his, his father-in-law came and said, man, if you don't, if you don't do something different, you're going to weigh yourself out and the people out. So he told him to pick out some, some strong spiritual leaders who you can appoint in a different position who can help you judge these matters. Now, he confronted Moses, and Moses listened to his father-in-law. See, there are times when he addressed the problem, and he didn't address Moses. He didn't talk about Moses' character. He addressed the problem that Moses was having to deal with. So again, don't let confrontation digress into an attack on the other person's character. Third thing, don't use inflammatory remarks, sarcasm, and name calling. Don't generalize and exaggerate. You always do this. You don't never do this. You don't ever buy me anything. What did you bought something for last Mother's Day? You don't ever, they don't never do it. Never is a strong word. And so we exaggerate sometimes when we're trying to get our point across. But guys, listen to me carefully. Don't use inflammatory remarks, sarcasm, and name calling when you're dealing with the issue. When you use any of these in the argument, it completely changes the focus of the argument, causing the other person to defend himself or to make excuses, thereby drawing their attention away from the real issue. Deal with the real issue. One of the things I like to do as a pastor and, and, and it makes, I know it makes some of y'all uncomfortable sometimes when we have what we call a look back meeting and we have to address what went well and what didn't go so well. And people, here's, here's why you, you got to learn how to deal with the problem rather than taking it personally. Some of y'all are too fickle. Some of you wear your feelings on your shoulder and when something is addressed, you get defensive. It's because you fail to realize we're just trying to solve the problem. This ain't nothing, this, this had nothing to do with you per se, but if you're in that role, then listen to what the issue is and let's try to solve the issue. Instead of getting defensive and raising your voice and, and, and making people back away from you because you don't know how to handle, amen, amen, a look back meeting. We're going to always do look back meetings here because we want to we know what we did well and what we didn't do so well. Because here's what happened. When you don't address the problem, people go away talking about the problem. And they talk about the problem, amen, and they, they complain about it. But if you just come together and say, listen, here's what we're having to deal with. How can we best solve that issue? And when we do that, guys, we can get the problem solved and nobody gets their feelings hurt. Unless you're not growing spiritually. And when you're not growing spiritually, then you, you're still a baby. And you're, when you're a baby, you cry, you whine, you complain. 
So if you're whining and complaining, you're still a baby. Let's grow. Paul said when he wrote to the Corinthian church, there's some stuff I want to tell y'all, but I can't tell you because you're still spiritual baby. You can't handle it. So we're going to learn how to deal with the problem. So number three, don't use inflammatory remarks, sarcasm, and name calling. Don't generalize or exaggerate. Deal with the issue. Number four, don't enter a conflict with the condescending or know-it-all attitude. Go with me to Galatians, the sixth chapter, right quick. Galatians chapter number six. Talking about handling conflict in the church, and then we're going to get to why we shouldn't worry. Conflict. Galatians chapter number six. Look at verses one and two. Very familiar passage scripture. Don't, don't, don't enter a conflict with a condescending or know-it-all attitude. Look what the text says. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall what? Into the same temptation yourself. Because a lot of times what causes conflict is when somebody gets out of of the will of God. And when they get out of the will of God, we are our brother's keeper. Iron does sharpen iron, so we owe it to each other to go and talk to each other. Where did this mindset come up with, well, you know, it ain't none of my business, so I'm going to just mind my own business. Baby, let me tell you something. When you came to the body of Christ, then, then you are part of God's family. And when you're part of God's family, you're part of this church family here, then if there's an issue that needs to be addressed, your family needs to come together and help you address the issue. We cannot afford to have that mindset that says we are our own man. We're our own island to ourselves. All of us have to make sure that we understand that we're part of God's family and we got to handle problems the biblical way. I don't mean we come jumping into your business trying to figure out what's going on in your life. I'm saying when things come up and we, when a believer is made aware of it, we owe it to that person and say, listen, is there a way I can help you through this process? Amen? So watch what it says. Dear brothers, listen. If another brother is overtaken by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Verse number two, let's read. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. So we are, we, we are to share that burden, that, that weakness that that person is going through. We are to help bear them up in their weakness because none of us are perfect. None of us have it all together so when we mess up, it's great that we got a brother or a sister who can come to us and say, listen, man, let me help you through this situation. Is there, I'm going to pray with you, first of all, but is there, is, is there something else I can do to help you through this process? Number five, number five, don't let the conflict spill over into other issues. How many of your husbands and wives have been, have, been, have been having conflict or disagreement about something, and it starts with one thing, and it ends up with something that happened five or six years ago? Anybody in the house? Huh? Don't, 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 don't let the conflict spill over into other issues. I know it may be very tempting to bring up other issues, but keep your argument focused on the issue causing the conflict. Don't jump off into some other arena. Well, no, I remember last year when you were over your mama's house, you, you said something that hurt my feelings. Well, wait a minute, baby, that was two years ago. Let's deal with what we're talking about right now. And here's, here's, here's what we, uh, we have a nasty habit of doing. When somebody points out our stuff or the particular issue that they want to address, what do we do? We turn right back around and say, I'm going to find something on you to talk about. Everybody said that ain't godly. Say that's not God's way. All right? All right, watch this, watch this, watch this. So don't, don't let the conflict spill, spill over to other issues. I'm talking about handling conflict in the church as a born-again believer. Whether it's with your wife, whether it's with your children, whether it's with another church member, don't do these things. Never use ultimatums or threats. When you do, you are backing the other person into a corner, and when that happens, they may just come out swinging. Figuratively and literally. Some folk will come out fighting you when they feel threatened. So do not use ultimatums or threats. I'm going to leave. I'm going to quit. I'm going to do that's, that. Those are threats or ultimatums, and you're trying to manipulate the situation to get your own way. Don't do that when you're trying to ha- uh, handle conflict. That's why some people are reluctant to come to you because you, 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 you're such a, you, 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 you start threatening folk and using ultimatums. Don't, a believer should not do that. Number, n- n- number seven, don't use disrespectful body language or demeaning nonverbal communication. If you're going to solve an issue, why are you talking about, I can't be doing this here. Mm-hmm. That's so stupid. Why do you feel that way? You shouldn't feel that way. That's crazy. 
Girl, you don't lost your mind. Listen, no, 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 no. Learn how to listen to what the other person is saying. Learn how to listen without interrupting or interjecting or cutting them off. All of you cutter offers out there. Anybody had trouble not cutting people off? Yeah, you know, I struggle with that sometimes. I'm, I'm going to admit to you all, when, I, when, I'm, when Marrera and I are in, in what we call uh, somewhat heated fellowship, you know, every now and then you go into heated fellowship mode. Anybody, any married couple, I think, can, can, can raise your hand and say, listen, I, I know what heated fellowship mode looks like. Yeah, when that happens, uh, you know, because, you know what, I, I'm, I'm thinking that I'm trying to get my point out and I want to make sure she hears me. I don't mean no harm. That's what I say. That's what I tell myself. But I have to learn how to let her finish. Now, sometimes she can go a long way before she finishes. And sometimes, you, and, and, okay, am I not a husband that, 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 that has to wait a while? And, and by the time, by time she gets through sharing her heart, and, and listen, I, I, I'm learning. I, I promise you I'm learning how to sit still and patiently and hear her out without sitting there thinking about what my comeback is going to be. So you never solve a problem by sitting there waiting until you can get your dig in. Learn to listen all the way through and, and capture what that person is telling you because they're feeling a certain kind of way. Their feelings are truth. Their feelings are what they're feeling, even though uh, it, it is true to them, but it may not be what, what the fact is. But you still got to let them share what they're really feeling. And then you start to talk about the issue. So, but, but again, don't, don't use disrespectful body language or demeaning nonverbal communication, rolling your eyes, shaking your head. To my, that's, that's so stupid. No, 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 that, that's disrespectful. That's ungodly. Number eight, don't, don't interrupt. There we go. Don't interrupt. Let the person say what he, what he or she wants to say. Don't interrupt them. Let them get it all out. Stay focused on what they're saying. Nod your head to show that you're paying attention. Show some patience. Control your tongue. All that goes into don't interrupt. Some of y'all struggle with that. I struggle with it sometimes. We got to get better at that if we're going to solve issues the right way. Can I get a witness? Don't interrupt. Number, number nine, don't raise your voice. That's, 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 real, that's real critical. Pop up Proverbs 15 and, and 1 with me right quick. Don't raise your voice. I'm going to say it again. I'm raising my voice while I'm saying it because I want you to hear me. Do not raise your voice. What is the way I talk? No, that's, that's, that's not godly. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words makes tempers flare. Look at that again. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flat. I like the way the KJV says it. Look at it in the King James Version, Proverbs 15 and 1, real quickly. Watch what it says. A soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous word with your loud self stirs up anger. Now, that's Bible. Now, you got to decide, I'm going to be biblical or am I just going to do me? If you're going to do you, then you're not going to have any peace in any of your relationships. And when you ask enough people, here's what I tell you all the time. If, if five people who know you well saying the same thing, it's probably true. If five people who know you well and who will be honest enough with you to tell you what they see, it's probably true. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to go out on them and say 99.9% of the time is true. So listen to those folks and quit trying to be defensive and trying to defend why you do it the way you do it. Amen? My daughter told me this, um, and I, I had to, I had to, I had to, I had to look at myself because it was something that she did, and it wasn't anything major, but I, I said, Sandra. I said it in that way, and, 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 and it, that it hurt her feelings. And the first thing she says, why are you yelling, daddy? I said, I'm not yelling. <laughs> but I was. I, I didn't realize that my voice had elevated, and, and that elevation in my voice uh, offended her, and I had to apologize for talking in that tone. Because sometimes you don't know what you're doing until somebody point out what you're doing. How many of you know sometimes we have blind spots? And we can't see ourselves, but uh, those who, who love us and who are around us enough can see us. And they can tell us if we'll listen. But if you sit there with your stubborn behind, keep trying to defend your way of doing the thing, 
you will never be able to really truly grow into the person that God wants you to be because you won't listen to anybody. Come on, hell in conflict in the church. These two spiritual ladies on Mother's Day, we're looking at Yodis and Sentai, they had, they had beef in the church. And Paul says, Paul said, my, 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 my trusted uh, uh, y- y- fellow, my, my fellow helper in the gospel, I need you to di- go to them and, and tell them to get that thing right because it's causing the church not to be as effective. So, so don't interrupt. Don't raise your voice. Cause, uh, 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 and, uh, 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 and number 10, never walk away or withdraw or hang up the phone in the middle of confrontation. Don't do that. Don't hang up on somebody. Listen, as a believer, now, unless under one circumstance you can do that, if somebody starts to get violent and gets real ugly, then you walk away until that person can calm down. You said, no, listen, I'm not gonna, we're not going to talk that way. Until, when, when you calm down, we can deal with the issue. But as long as you cussing me, we, we're not going to talk. Listen, I, I would tell anybody, as a born-again believer, and some of y'all live with cussers, don't you dare sit there and let somebody disrespect you that way. You walk away until they can calm down and repent, and then y'all can talk about the issue. It's, it's a sad commentary we're in a world where Christians talk just like the world. I'm, I, I'm a stickler for that kind of stuff. I don't, I, you can tell me, well, well, that's just the way I grew up. I don't care how you grew up. You're born again now. You, you're a part of the family of God. If you don't learn how to control your tongue, the Bible says your religion is vain. So you got to learn how to talk. Amen? In this church, anyhow. Hello? All right, so, so, so never, never walk away or withdraw or hang up the phone in the middle of a conversation. Remember, the best way to get another person to really hear what you're saying is to show honor and respect during the communication. And so you are, your oldest and Sentai had, had, had to get to the point where they could show respect for one another. Let's get back to the text in Philippians, the third chapter, fourth chapter, I'm sorry. Philippians chapter number, number four. We're going to go back to verse, verse number, number two and three. So conflict in the church, in your home, as a born-again believer, remember those 10 things as you deal with conflict. Deal with the problem. Don't get off on, don't get off on feelings and you get into your emotions because when you get emotional, remember I told you, I, I shared with you, uh, con artists notice if they can get you on the emotional side of your brain, away from the, uh, the, 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 the vortex part, of the, uh, the, the vortex that, that deals with your thinking, and they want to get you to the amygdala, which, which is the emotional side of your brain, if they can get you emotional, they can get you to, to, to make a purchase or, 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 or take money from you. When you get emotional, you'll do stuff that you wouldn't ordinarily do if you were letting the word of God control your thought life. Amen. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, getting the right mindset. So we look at it. He says, now I appeal to you, O Sentai, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. Number three, watch this. Verse three, and I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers, whose names are written in the book of life. All right? Now, let's keep moving down. I got to move. Look what it says in verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Always be full. Let everyone see. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Let everyone see that you are what? Considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Look at verse 6 and 7. This is what I'm going to get to. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Now watch this. This this verse does not go away because we're in a global pandemic. This this, this verse does not go away because we're experiencing and dealing with COVID-19. Is that right? Is that what it's called? The coronavirus, not the coronas, but the coronavirus. (laughs) Um, This verse does not cease to exist. The text says, don't worry about anything. I know your job may be threatened. I know it looks bleak financially, but it says, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. So, 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 Pastor, what is, what is worry? Let's examine worry for a second. Let's look at the dictionary definition of a word. What is worry? word? The Greek word translated anxious or careful in the KJV um, uh, in Philippians 4 and 6, means to be pulled in different directions. To be pulled in different directions. Our hopes pull us in one direction, what we believe in for, and our fears pull us in the opposite direction, and we are pulled apart. We know what God's word says, but we see this stuff over here. 
We're seeing what's happening in the world and we're thinking to ourselves, I know what I'm believing. I know what I'm praying for, but here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what everybody else is telling me. Now I'm, 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 I'm being pulled in two directions and now worry sets in. Worry sets in. Worry is setting in. So, so uh, uh, our hopes are pulled in one direction and our fears pull us in the opposite direction and we are pulled apart. The old English root word uh, from which we get our word worry means to strangle. It means to strangle. If you ever have really had worry on the brain, you know how it does strangle a person. I mean, in fact, worry, our medical doctors tell us worry has definite physical consequences. Headaches, neck pains, ulcers, back pain, breaking out in hives. Worry affects our thinking, our digestion, and even our coordination. Worry has physical impact on our bodies. In some places, we call it stress. You're being stressed out. Why are you stressed when God says, do not be over anxious or worried about anything? So if I find myself being stressed, it's, it's, I'm, 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 doing, I'm allowing something to infiltrate my thinking that's going in direct opposition to the word of God that's coming into my brain. That's why the Bible tells us uh, you know, to, to bring every thought into captivity unto the obedience of Christ. So that's the dictionary definition of a, a word because those thoughts come, when they come, uh, they produce stress, they produce worry, and we got to capture those thoughts. So from a, from a spiritual point of view, guys, worry is wrong thinking. We talk about mindset in this, in this book of Philippians, right? We talk about the different mindsets in each chapter. Worry is wrong thinking and wrong feeling. The heart and the mind are out of place. Uh, wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, about people, and about things. Let's look at that again. From a spiritual viewpoint, worry is what? Wrong thinking and wrong feeling about circumstances, people, and things. Worry is the biggest thing that steals our joy. And see, when, when we allow that worry to creep in, the joy of the Lord does not be come our strength any longer. We're allowing the circumstances, the people, and the situation to, to capture our joy. Worry is an inside job, guys. It takes more than good intentions to get victory over worry. Amen? The medicine that cures worry is the secure mind. Everybody said secure mind. And so we're dealing with in this fourth chapter. When you have the secure mind, the peace of God, it'll guard you. It'll guard you. And the God of peace will guide you. Look at verses 7 through 9 in Philippians chapter 4 right quick, okay? With that kind of protection, if, 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 if the peace of God is guarding you and the, and, the, and the God of peace is guiding you, then why are you worrying? Look at what the text says here. Then you will, go back to verse number 6. Verse number 6, we're going to move on now. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. 7, 8, 9. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, let's read. It says what? Uh, and now, dear brothers, this is one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and that are worthy of praise. All right? So, so, so if... If, if we're going to conquer worry and, and, and if we're going to experience the secure mind, we must meet the conditions that God has laid down. There's three of them I want to go with today. Uh, conditions for conquering worry. Let's look at that right quick. Because if you're worrying right now, if you're in the midst of this pandemic and you just, you just wrought with fear. And I'm going to tell you something. The body of Christ is called upon to walk in faith and not fear. And I know many of you out there are fearful right now. Respect what's happening with this virus, but please, as a believer, do not walk in fear. At some point in time, you got to stand up and say, listen, for God I live and for God I die. I'm going to trust that God got my back. He's going to protect me. He's going to heal me. He's going to deliver me. He's going to take care of all of my needs. And God, you said in your word, and that's what I'm standing on. You got you to, at some point in time, you got to either stand in faith or not. And when you're worrying and when you're fearful, scared to even move, 
scared to do anything, uh, then, then, then you're going to put yourself in a position where you're not trusting God. I'm not saying you don't follow the, 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 the directive that our government officials are giving us for public health concerns. But what I'm saying, I'm talking about that unhealthy fear that goes over into where you're just fearful, you sit in your house, and you're scared. We, don't, we shouldn't walk in fear. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So, so, so conditions for conquering word. Number one, right praying. Everybody say right praying. Paul uses three different words to describe right praying. Uh, and and, and we'll, we'll talk through those real quick. He deals with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving. And right praying involves all three of those. The word prayer is the general word for making requests known to the Lord. And how many of y'all know that we are to always pray and not faint, not to give up, right? Uh, so, so it carries the idea of, of, of adoration, devotion, and worship. And so whenever we find ourselves worrying, our first action ought to be to get along with God and worship him. We need to adore him, adoration. Remember when Jesus taught disciples how to pray? He says, he says uh, the Lord's Prayer, which we quote all the time, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name is hallowed. That, that means you're adoring God. Adoration is the first step, uh, the first thing we should begin to engross ourselves in if we're going to pray right. Adoring God. We must see the greatness and the majesty of God. We must realize that he is big enough to solve any of our problems. And if I don't know that, then when it comes to a problem that I can't solve myself, I can't solve it economically, I can't solve it relationally, I can't solve it emotionally, if I don't realize that God is big enough to solve all my problems, then I'm going to wig out. Because I don't think he can do it. I don't think he can do it. So he's not big enough to solve it. Yeah, but Pastor, he did that. But you know, this is something else right now. I, I, just, I just don't know. I don't know. What well, you need to know, adoration. Adoring God, talking about his strength, his majesty, his ability. Too often we rush into his presence and we hastily go there telling him what we need, what we want. And we are, there's a place for petition, asking God. Remember we sang that song, Jesus on the main line, tell him what you want. Call him up, tell him what you want. If you're sick and you can't get well, tell him what you want. You ought to tell him, but before you start telling him what you want, you ought to adore him and tell him who he is. Put him in remembrance. He knows who he is, but God said, put me in remembrance of my word. Adore him. Tell him how good he is. Tell him that, God, I know you're a big God. I know you're able to accomplish this thing. I know you can do it, Lord. I don't have the resources. I can't do it myself, but you are God all by yourself. You don't need anybody else, and you are big enough to handle this problem. You are big enough to come through, and, Lord, I adore you. I magnify your name. Don't just go to him when you just need something. Or even when you're going to him and you need something. Amen. Listen, at least go to him and tell him how good he is before you ask him for something. How many of y'all got people who come when they call you, you know, oh, Lord. They don't even say hi two seconds before they asking you for something. And when you see that number roll up, most of y'all do, y'all do this and y'all click it because you got called out that you know it is and you know they want something. It's not a good feeling when somebody only calls you when they need something. Yes, Jesus is on the main line, but in our praying, right praying means that I don't just ask him for stuff all the time. I go to him and praise him for who he is. Adoration. That's the first step in right praying. Adoration is adoration. The second step is, is supplication. And supplication is an earnest sharing of our needs and our problems. That means being sincere, open-minded, honest with God when we share about our needs and our problems. There's no place in God for half-hearted, insincere prayer. You got How do you know you've been insincere when, you, when you're not being honest? When you're not really telling God what the real issue is? Lord, I'm going to be honest with you, Lord. I, I, I can't pay my rent because I went and gambled my money away. Lord, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I messed up. I played the lottery. Lord, I, I messed up. I went and spent my money on stuff that I shouldn't have spent it on, and now I can't take care of my obligation. Now I'm coming to you, God. I messed up royally. See, God knows already. He's waiting on you to be honest. And many times when we pray, we're not really honest. Think about it for a second. Think about it just for a second. God already knows what we're going through. He already knows what we did. 
and we're going to go to him and try to trick him. <laughs> that does not work. He's waiting on you to be honest. He's waiting on me to be honest so we can repent and turn away from that thing. So uh, the second thing is supplication is earnest sharing of our needs and our problem. Being earnest about it, being open and honest. That's what Jesus was when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, Jesus said Lord, if there's any way, other way to accomplish this, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. He was honest. And so supplication is earnest sharing of our needs and problems. So if you're going to pray right, you got to be earnest. You got you to use supplication. You got to be honest with God because he already knows. He's just waiting on you to, 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 to come clean with him. And that's why Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. While his disciples were over there sleeping, Jesus was sweating, amen, like drops of blood. And, and so, so, so he was honest. So, the, so we got adoration, we got supplication, and then lastly, we got appreciation. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 20 with right quick. Ephesians 5, verse number 20. Hurry, hurry, hurry. So we got to have right praying, and that includes adoration. It includes supplication. It includes appreciation. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 20. Ephesians 5 and 20. Glory to God. And then we'll look at Colossians. Watch what the text says. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Appreciation. Give thanks for everything. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Appreciation. Have you ever dealt with somebody who's unappreciative? How many, how many of your mothers, how many of your children have been unappreciative? As the old folks say, crying with a loaf of bread on your arm. I, I never knew what that meant until I got, got older. But basically, that just means you're being ungrateful. We have some, I, I'm here to tell you, some of our children have been raised in an un, we're, we're allowed them to be ungrateful and unappreciative for what God has blessed them with. Don't, don't, don't ever get into that state of, of mindset. Look at what Colossians says, and let the peace that comes from Christ ruling your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Next verse says what? Let's read. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with what? Thankful hearts. Verse 17, read. And what? Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Thanks through him to God the Father. Giving thanks to him through God the Father. So the third step in that right praying is appreciation of thankfulness. If we have the single mind of Philippians chapter number one, then we can give adoration. Okay? Because a double-minded man person can't give can't really praise God because he, he one way he's one day he's thanking God and next minute he's 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 cursing God. If we have the submissive mind in Philippians chapter number two, we can have we can we can come with supplication, amen. And if we have the spiritual mind of Philippians chapter number three, we can show our appreciation, amen. I like what Daniel did. And when you get home, I don't have time to go today, but Daniel the sixth chapter, Daniel uh, embodied each one of these tenants of right praying when when they, they were forbidden from praying uh, because of the king's decree. But Daniel said, listen, I, 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 the God I serve, I cannot stop praying to him. I don't care what the government says, I'm going to always pray. And Daniel stood and he prayed in that sixth chapter. So, so we got right praying. Next thing we got, we got to have, if, if we're going to uh, be free from worry, we got to have right thinking, right thinking. See, peace involves the heart and the mind. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted in thee. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling and before long the heart and the mind are pulled apart and we are strangled by worry. Wrong thinking leads to wrong feeling. You were thinking wrong about a person and it was wrong that what you were thinking wasn't even the issue, but that wrong feeling led to wrong feeling. And before long, uh, that relationship was, 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 was fractured because of that wrong thinking. 
Amen. We got to start thinking right. We must realize that thoughts are real and powerful, even though they cannot be seen, weighed or measured. Amen. We must bring into captivity every thought. One guy said this way. I like what he said. He said, sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. So what is your character like? It started with your thought life. Amen. All right. So Paul spells out in detail the things we ought to think about. Look, 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 look at Philippians chapter 4, the ver- eighth verse right quick. Whatever is true. Whatever is true. That's what I'll be thinking about. Whatever is true. Uh, Dr. Walter Cavett reported a survey on worry that indicated that only, listen to this, only 8% of the things people worried about were legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary, they never happened, or they involved matters over which the people had no control anyway. So why are you going to worry? 8% of the things were things that people worry about that were legitimate matters of concern. 92% of the stuff that we worry about is, is, is imaginary, never happened, or it involves stuff you could control. You can't control it. Why are you worried about it? Why are you worried about it if you can't control it? Listen to me carefully. Think on what is true. Think on, he says, and dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So whatever is true, whatever is honest and just, whatever is pure, lovely, have a good report, those are the things we should be focusing on. Whatever possesses virtue and praise, that's what we got to begin to focus our thought light on. So right thinking keeps us from worry. And lastly, right living. Verse 9 of Philippians chapter 4, right living, amen, keeps us from worrying. You cannot separate outward action and inward attitude. Sin always results in unrest. Amen. Unless you become so, some people become so, so seared in their conscience that their conscience becomes so seared that their wrongdoing don't even bother them anymore. But if you're born again, I'm here to tell you right now, when you mess up, when you do something wrong, it bothers you. When you, when you connect it with your Savior, your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you can't sin and, and be at ease. You can't sin and go to sleep at night and sleep like a baby. It's going to bother you. And if it's not bothering you, check your salvation. Because you can't live in sin and live, amen, in vibrant relationship with Christ Jesus at the same time. It does not work that way. So right living will keep us from worry. Amen. Right living. You cannot separate outward action and your inward attitude. Paul lets us know this. Amen. Right praying right thinking, and right living. These are the conditions for having the secure mind and it'll give you victory over worry. How many of y'all are tired of worrying about stuff? If you're tired of worrying about stuff, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to. Because if you are, that, what, what that say, Paul says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the God of peace will, will, will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. God will allow you to overcome worry. I don't care what you're dealing with, the pure time we're going through, we don't have to worry. That's a good thing, guys. We can overcome that. Every head, body, back, close.